Do you love coffee? Of course you do. Who don't? I'm drinking a cup right now. Sobervet Coffee is a military family-owned company that brings together a love of coffee and support for military-affiliated people in recovery. Sobervet Coffee donates 20% of net proceeds to charities that support military and veteran mental health. Co-founders and spouses David and Christina Beardsley built Sobervet Coffee to connect current and former military families that are in the community of recovery. This specialty third wave coffee is roasted to order, so you are guaranteed the freshest brew. It's available in whole bean or ground for your home brewer. And listeners will receive a 10% discount with the code Bump Believers. That's B-U-M-P-B-E-L-I-E-V-E-R-S. Bump Believers. Go to SoberVetCoffee.com. Find the blend you like and order a batch today. I believe in this coffee because I believe in David Beardsley. I served with Dave. We deployed together and I love him like family. God bless you and God bless America. Do you want to be prepared for anything that could happen in day-to-day life or when disaster strikes from the office to the outdoors? Then please go to SquatchSurvivalGear.com and check out the packs that they have to offer. They're made in America, and I mean every single piece of fabric, hardware, buckle, and frame. All the labor, too, is right here in America. So when you buy from Squatch Survival Gear, you're supporting multiple small businesses right here at home. I've become good friends with Chris. Um, He's a military vet. So all of these packs are made to mill spec. All right, so they're all military standard packs. They're good for everything. These things are virtually bomb proof. I promise you, I own two of them. I have the Rock Ape and the Mothman pack. They cannot be beaten. I've, I've had gear all my life. I had gear in the military. I have gear when I go hunting. I have gear for camping. The Squatch Survival Gear changes the game. All right, I, I take one to work every day. I take the Mothman pack with me to work. Just use it as a regular backpack, but it's so functional. It's, it's just unbelievable quality. All right, so please go to SquatchSurvivalGear.com. Now, to save 15% site-wide, I encourage you to use promo code 23BUMP. That's 23BUMP. To save 15% site-wide. Hosea 4.6 says, My people are destroyed from a lack of knowledge. So now that we have this knowledge, we have to remember to walk in 2 Timothy 1.7, which says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, When he turned his back from shoulder to shoulder, it looked like as wide as the tailgate of a truck. This thing let out the most blood-curdling, mind-blowing, spine-tingling scream that you've ever heard in your life, and it cut through me like a knife. And I knew that they were going to take me. I just knew it. And then the next thing I can remember is being levitated. 
Well, when I look in there, uh, I see two big eyes staring back at me. Hello and welcome. You're listening to The Bump Podcast, a place for the believers of the unexplained, monsters, and paranormal. Join us, and we'll go face-to-face with what goes bump in the night. Hey there, believers. I got a fantastic episode for you today. I've been trying to get this gentleman on the show for over two years. There's been scheduling conflict. There's been just uh, an absence here and there. But I finally got him on. Um, The reason why it's been so difficult is this man has a very, um, very important job. Today's guest is Brother Richard. You may have heard of him from the uh, Strange Familiars podcast with Tim Renner. Um, Great show. Great show. But I fell in love with everything that Brother Richard had to say um, on his multiple appearances. And he's just such a wealth of knowledge. Just said it so matter-of-factly. And, you know, when you're a friar, I guess it becomes a way of life, don't it? (laughs) You know? Um... But he's just, uh, he he is somebody that I've I've always wanted to just pick their brain. You know, I, there's so many things to talk about. I got a long list of stuff that I have for him. He asked for some things that, you know, I might want to discuss, but it's just good. It's God's timing and it's worked out and it is what it is and it's when it's supposed to be. And I'm just so grateful for the opportunity. Um but we'll get into more with Brother Richard here in just a second. I just want to go over a few things real quick. One, um, thank you for all the love and support. If you want more of this show, it's on Patreon. Um, I put small segments on YouTube. But if you want full-length videos, if you want early releases, if you want occasional merch swag coming your way, if you want sometimes, you know, kind of rarely, but every once in a while when I can, if you want some giveaways, um, if you just want more or if you just want to support the show, because it's not cheap to, to stay relevant these days. I found that out over the years. Um, it it comes, you got to come out of pocket if you want to stay, stay relevant. There's five tier levels to choose from. I love it that you guys support me the way you do. Um, it all finds its way back into the show, you know, and there's a way to be better for you guys. You know, I just, I love it. Um, so yeah, there's Patreon if you feel inclined to do so. If you have an experience you want to share, holler at me. You can call me on the bump phone, leave a voicemail, shoot me a text. It's 304-812-0553. All right. If you have anything that you would like to send me, like uh, books to review, I love doing book reviews. If you want some art displayed up here, if you want to exchange some swag, you know, if you have a show or a business or whatever, and you want to exchange that, your product for some of my product, we can do that. Uh, I love doing that. We can plug each other. It's P.O. Box 1453 at Chapmanville, West Virginia, 
205508. And you can just put that to the bump podcast. It's there for that. Um, all right. If you have an experience, the best way is by email, the bump podcast at gmail.com. All right. Or you can call the bump phone or you can just shoot a text to the bump phone. It don't matter. I'm on all the social media platforms. I don't really mess with Twitter that much. I might try to get more into that. I've totally neglected Discord ever since Andrew set it up for me, and I apologize for that. I don't mean to. It's just, it's hard to bring something new into the rotation. But Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, um, YouTube, all of that. I'm on there. You can get a hold of me through one of those channels. Um, greatly appreciated. I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to share your story. Um, what else? Oh, yeah. If you would like to come hang out in person, I'm going to be part of what they're calling the Fortean Airwaves Conference. They said it's a podcaster super group panel discussion, but we do this all weekend long. It's going to be October 6th. That's a Friday evening. All day Saturday, October 7th, we're going to be together. And then Sunday morning, we're going to have a little pancake breakfast. And uh, I'll see you later on October 8th. So it's a full weekend of hanging out with some of your favorite podcasts and me. <laughs> and uh, just getting to know each other. We're going to be doing presentations. There's going to be like stuff like cornhole and stuff like that outside to play, just to hang out. We're, we're just going to hang out. And uh, of course, we'll have our merch tables out there. I got exclusive merch just for this conference. Um, very limited tickets. All right. So I hope all tickets are sold to fans and followers and believers of this show. Um very limited. It's only 200 tickets being sold to this. Now, if you go to like Mothman Festival or something like that, there's like 10, 12,000 people go to those things. Um, some of the Bigfoot conferences in Ohio, they'll have 25, 30,000 people. So these tickets are going to go quick. So please, if you if you want to come meet in person, if you want some of this exclusive merch, if you just want to come listen to people get weird all weekend, holler at us. It's the Fortean Airwaves Conference. I have a uh, a post pinned on the Facebook page to the link tree that will take you to all that information. There's a QR code on there where you can buy your ticket. All right. Again, just 200 tickets. That's all we got. Um, I, I was hoping that we could do like smaller passes, but that's, that's not the case for this event. Um, if this succeeds, we'll do a lot more. But. Let me tell you who's going to be there, and then I will get straight to Brother Richard. It's going to be me, you know, the Bump Podcast. you probably get a sneak peek at my wife and my nephew who live here. Um, you know, they live here with me in this studio right here. No, no, I'm just playing. Uh, but my, my wife and nephew will be coming. They'll be running the merch tables and stuff for me. So it'll be the Bump Podcast. It'll be Kill the Mockingbirds Podcast. It will be Appalachian Intelligence. We will have Cryptids of the Corn. Those boys, it's in, this is in their backyard, I believe it's up in Ada, Ohio. Um, Uncomfortable Podcast and Hollow Sky. 
going to be a great time. Hopefully, some other podcasters get to you know come hang out with us too. Um, if you want to start a podcast and want to you know learn the ropes, this is your time. Come pick our brains. We're here for a whole weekend with you guys. Um, this is locked in. This is happening. Rain or shine. It's an indoor event with outdoor activities. If you all want to go hang out outside, we can do that too. Um, I'm super excited about this. I, I cannot wait. I have been trying to lock down some conferences to do, you know, to do more of. And um, I know it's hunting season, but if I can take a weekend, so can you. All right. All right. Uh, let's go ahead and bring Brother Richard onto the show. This is going to be great. All right, Brother Richard, thank you again. I know I thanked you about three times off air, but thank you again for coming on the show. Um, it's a great Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. I've been uh, a big fan for years. I know we're not supposed to be fanboys over, <laughs> over each other, but it is, uh, it's an honor to have someone of your caliber with your experience um oh thank you i i appreciate that and, and indeed thanks for thanks for having me on absolutely absolutely um typically like i told you off air uh when i bring people on it's for them to share their experience but i reached out to you um because i have i had questions and i wanted guidance i wanted my audience to have answers to uh, about some certain topics so um I know we have about an hour worth of time. So if it's okay with you, I'd like to just jump straight into some stuff. Sure. No problem. Yeah, of course. First, could you introduce yourself to those who may not be familiar with, uh, maybe they okay. haven't heard you on Strange uh, on Strange Familiars. And... Sure. Sure. Okay. So my name is, is Brother Richard. I'm a, uh, well, I'm Irish, first of all. Um, I am a Capuchin Franciscan monk. So I am a Catholic monk that belongs to the order founded by St. Francis of Assisi. Most people would know him as the animal saint um, or saint of peace. He's one of the patron saints of peace. Um, he founded the order in 12, um, 1209. Um, he died in 1226. And since then, the Franciscans, men and women, um, have worked to, to spread his, his message, which is basically a return to the simplicity of the gospel. Um, of the, the the good news of Jesus Christ uh, to return to that obviously we're within the Catholic tradition within within Christianity um, my own life and work has brought me into many different aspects I've been a pastor I've been um, someone who's worked with uh, young people um, I work teaching um, Christian prayer and uh, meditation I, I write a fair bit as well um, and part of the work, part of the traditional apostolate of the Capuchins has been to work with people who are maybe going through supernatural manifestations to assist them, to help them with it. We also are involved in deliverance and exorcism as well. Um, I am not an exorcist, um, but I have been involved with, the, with our deliverance ministry throughout. Um, I was trained in by two of our brothers who are full-time exorcists. Um, and because of that, um, I, I would keep an ear out uh, on, on the kind of podcast sphere as to what's going on. And because of that, I, I was listening to um, uh, Where Did the Road Go? And then, then Strange Familiars and got in touch with Tim. And much to my surprise, I've become a recurring guest on that from time to time. So that's what's led me to here. Fantastic. Wonderful. Yeah, I, 
I've, I heard, I've listened to probably your first three or four times that you were on Strange Familiars. And mm-hmm. I have gotten away from listening to pretty much any other podcast because I've, my life's pretty busy. But sure. from the first time I heard you, I thought, oh, wow. <laughs> this guy <laughs> he's the real deal you know you you live this and um well i try i mean like everybody we just try we get up every day and we begin again every day in, in christ and that's 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 a, the, the 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 new beginning and um, that the lord gives there's a lovely story in our monastic tradition about a, a young novice who says to his his teacher his abba as we call them his elder um is it true that for those who believe in christ you can begin again um, you can begin again every day. And the abbot says to him, no, that's not true. The truth is that for those who believe in Christ, you can begin again every moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's what we trust in. You know, every day is a new beginning. I'm, I'm, no, I'm nothing special, nothing supernatural. Um, wouldn't refer to myself as an experiencer, though I've, I've had a number of various different experiences along the way. Um, but most of my life is just beginning again each day, getting up and falling down, getting up and falling down like everybody else. Um, again, one of the great traditions within, within our end of things is, is, you know, as long as you fall down, you get up, you begin again. Um, and when the Lord finally calls you, whenever that will be, um, if, if he finds you in the fallen state, at least he knows you're someone who gets up again. So that's, that's what we, we trust in, you know? Amen. Amen. That's good. Um, you know, I, I, I have these questions and I wanted to ask you these things, but first I want to ask you, um, what, how did you know that you were called to be a monk? Like what, what got that started? I know I didn't yeah. ask you this off air, but it's, sure. just, I no want to know you no. person. It's, it, it's usually the first, the first question people ask is, um, I, I was around about, um, 15 or so. Um, and my, my intention was, um, I mean, I came from a believing family, came from a, a um, ordinary middle class Catholic family. Um, religion was part of our life. It wasn't, we were, we were by no means, I wouldn't characterize us as overly devout or anything like that, but it was just part of life. Um, I was heading towards the sciences. My, my intention was to go and study zoology in college and university. That's what I was aiming for. Round about that time, I was also beginning to ask some of the bigger questions, um, like what's it all about and, and why are we here and all of those kind of things. Um, was taking answers from the faith, looking at the sciences, looking all of at those things. And at some point, somebody gave me a book on the life of St. Francis. And I was absolutely entranced that this man had given everything um, so as to follow Christ as fully as he could. And had done so in a joyful way. That was one of the things that really took me. St. Francis was known for his joyfulness in the gospel. You know, with him, it really was good news. And also a supernatural aspect to his life, that this union with Christ gave him union with creation as well. So being very interested in in that, um, I began to check out whether there were any of these people who still followed him around. Um, No internet in those days. It was libraries and phone directories and things like that. Mm. Um, got in touch with some of the brothers and was invited to come and see. Uh, went and stayed with them. Used to visit them once a month for, for about a year or so. Saw that they were very ordinary, but doing extraordinary things. They were working with the homeless. They were working in prisons. They were working with the dying. Um, they were. It was the gospel in action um, more than anything else. And they were also very devout men of prayer. But along with that went a very ordinary, good-humoured, simple way of living. And so I asked to be admitted 
um, and I was, and that's over 30 years ago now. Um, I'm, I'm 49 now. Um, and uh, there have been ups and downs. There have been many days when I've thought, you know, maybe this isn't for me. Um, but uh, there was a, a sports coach gave the best advice I've ever heard with regard to anything in life, let alone spirituality. And um, she used to say, um, never leave on a bad day, only ever leave on your best day. Um, and I think that's that's one of the, the great gifts, because if it's your best day, the chances are you're going to stay. Um, if it's if it's your worst day and you have that in mind, you know, well, a good day is coming. So there have been times, of course, naturally, that I've that I've thought about other ways of life, because that's what it is to be a human being. Unfortunately, we are scattered. Our mind is all over the place uh, and it looks into alternatives all of the time. But thank God and his grace, um, this is where I am. And this is where I hope to remain. Yes, thank you, thank you. I I just felt like I was I I needed to slow down because I'm excited about the the topic, but I, <laughs> but I do I want to know you as a person more than anything else, you know. Mm. Uh, so thank thank you for sharing that with me, man. You're most welcome. Um, I I've never considered it. I'm I'm afraid that people look at someone who's in the you know that's a friar or a monk and they just see the rope and they're just like you know they they set them apart from from being human you know yeah well they they even see us as as being the same i had a lovely moment some years ago where somebody knocked on the monastery door and i answered it and they asked for brother richard and i said i'm brother richard and they said no you're not and i said i'm pretty sure i am and and they (laughs) said uh, they said no 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 it was another guy i said well what did he look like and they said well he was dressed like you and had a beard and i have a beard um so i said well that's most of us uh, so um, they said, no, no, definitely met him before. He certainly wasn't you. Um, so I said, okay, and they walked off. So to this day, I have no idea whether they actually wanted to meet me or they were confused about us, but they just saw us as as interchangeable, you know? Right. Um, and uh, sometimes they forget, and people can forget there's an individual story. And the robe, you know, the, the robe is interesting. When St. Francis chose the robe, which is your quintessential typical brown monk's robe with a with a rope belt, um, he chose it as a particular statement, and the statement was that the robe was cross-shaped. And so the follower of the way of Francis puts on the cross every day, you know, taking into account that that teaching of Jesus, that if we are going to follow him, we have to take up our cross and follow after him. And the idea was not to mark us as anything special or better, but to mark us out as people who knew our need of grace. Um, our need of the cross, our need to be reminded of the cross. So the monastics are nothing special. We're doing exactly what everybody else is doing. We're just maybe a little bit more aware of our need for help, need for grace, need for community in the midst of it. That's all. I, I love your humility. Uh, you're, you're, you well, make, it's the truth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I know you don't consider yourself special, but I, I believe that you guys are set apart, you know, um, being more aware also that, you know, what what God would prefer us to have and to be and is to, to revere him and to fear him and to put him first. And I I just love that people are out there that uh, they give me a higher level to strive to. I know a monk's not in my future. You know, I got a wife and kids and mortgage and all that. But to know that, you know, to, to just to keep my eyes fixed. You know, seeing seeing you helps me remember. 
there's a lovely there's a lovely story from the very early monastic tradition one of the um one of the great saints was a guy called Anthony of Egypt or Anthony of the desert and he lived a life of total isolation and fasting and prayer and you know he was to us still he's the archetype of what we aspire to within the monastic tradition and Anthony towards the end of his life asked was there anybody else who was uh, in God's eyes the same as him um because he'd been assured by God that his, he, it was at the end of his life, he'd been assured his salvation was assured he was coming to heaven. It was the last moments of his life. And he wanted to know, was there any successor for him? And his angel appeared and the angel showed him a vision, not of any of the other monks, but of a doctor who was living in the town with a family. Um, and the doctor, by just trying to live the best that he could in the midst of the family life, in a very hidden what the world would call ordinary way, the angel said, this man is your equal. Wow. So, you know, it's it's not about the where, it's about the what. Like, what are we doing? What are we, what are we trying for each day? I think that's the important thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. That's wonderful. Um, you mentioned there, and that would be a, a good a good point maybe to segue into, that his his angel appeared. Yeah, I know in Psalm 91, um, I believe it was David that wrote Psalm 91, um, that, you know, God will charge his our angels to watch over us. So mm -hmm. does that mean that we all have guardian angels and um, are they messengers well, or are it we, is. we breaking it down like that or are there some... I suppose, I suppose the best way is, is to is to sort of take what, what the tradition has kind of said about, about angels. So the word angel is from the Greek angelos, angelos, and it just translates as messenger. Um, one of the great commentators on the work and life of the angels in the early church was a guy called Gregory, Gregory the Great. Um, and what he said of the angel is, be, be careful. What we mean by angel is the job, not the being. Right. Um, so a spirit a heavenly spirit becomes an angel when it's given a mission. Mm. Um, in that, you know, it's not like an angel gets its wings or anything like that. It's more like a title. You know, you're now whatever it is that you're 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 still a human being, but you're the postman, you're the doctor, you're the you're whatever it might be. You receive you receive the title for for the work that you're doing. Since um, the earliest days, Old Testament times, um, as as you mentioned with Psalm ninety one. Um, and even to this day, amongst our Jewish brothers and sisters, there has always been the understanding that every soul receives the guidance of an individual angel. Um, so that heavenly spirit is consecrated for your protection and guidance at the moment you come into human existence. Um, and it's an extraordinary gift of divine providence when you think about it, that there is an angelic intellect whose sole job is to get you um, get you into heaven, you know, to, to work with you for that. Um, we believe that they, they have what we call correspondence with grace. So the angelic presence is stronger in our lives, the more open to grace we are. Um, they are not there simply as physical, you know, bodyguards. Um, the, the angel works to the purposes of providence. So in the greater plan, you know, there may be people out there who have, you know, the near miss or the angel who appears and warns them or protects them. Or they may have the, the situation of, you know, the, 
uh, angelic strength or guidance is given at a particular time. And then there may be those who never have a manifestation of the angel. Um, but we only receive what we need. And that's a really important spiritual principle. We receive what we need. Very often as human beings, we go at the spiritual life um, towards what we want rather than what we need. And again and again, we're, 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 we're counseled against this, both by scripture and by, and by tradition, um, that, that we are to entrust ourselves to the God who knows us and who knows what we need. So the angel's job is to make sure that, please God, one day we enter into the house of the Father. Um, no better a man than, than J.R. or Tolkien had a very famous vision of his own guardian angel. Um, he was praying at one stage at a moment of terrible spiritual desolation. Uh, his son was was uh, in, involved in the Second World War. Um, he was he was away. They didn't know obviously where he was or what was going on. And um, he himself had been a soldier in the First World War, so he knew what combat was. He knew how how dangerous it was. And he was praying in his local church, praying for his son. And he received what he called an interior vision, an interior light, in which he saw the divine light of God issuing forth a beam of light. And in that beam of light, he said, there were two little motes, two little pieces of like dust that were glinting with the light of God's grace. The first moat, the moat nearest the light of God, he realized was his guardian angel. Hmm. The moat that he saw further down was himself. And he realized that both beings were bathed in the light of God. But the angel's job was to travel up and down the beam, bringing the graces, bringing, bringing the gifts, bringing individual guidance. And that the more he would entrust himself to God, the more active the angel would be in his life. And from that moment on, he didn't worry about his son anymore because he knew God's light was bathing his son at exactly the same time as well. Uh, it's recorded in his letters. You can you can read it. It's it's if anybody wants to Google Tolkien's vision of his guardian angel, they'll get it. No problem. They'll get the full description. I'm paraphrasing here. But it's a fascinating moment because it shows us what we're really talking about with regard to the guardian angel, that it is a spiritual presence dedicated to our salvation, a gift of the providence of God to watch over us and protect us primarily from spiritual harm or danger. We're only protected from physical harm or danger if that pertains to our spiritual good. Mm -hmm. um, and so the more we correspond with the grace of God, the more we pray, the more we're open to the, the presence of, of the Lord, the more we invoke him, the more aware we will be of the intuition that comes to us from uh, the, the angels when, when, they, when they guide us. It's like um, a, a, good, a good American uh, uh, Christian writer and Catholic priest, Fulton Sheen, famously said, Fallen humanity is like a broken radio where all the channels are on at once. And what we do through prayer is slowly allow God's grace to fix the radio so it's tuned into the right channel and we actually get the right information. Um, and so through prayer, our, our, our angel is helping us to tune into that one channel. Wow, that's good. That's good. And you say that... Um these these angels they're they're spiritual beings right mm. that, that are given the task so angel is their job that's their title um i i read works from like dr michael heiser i know you're familiar you had to be familiar with him at this point yeah yeah i've come across him yeah 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 indeed. um he talks about 
and it's not just him, it's just his book that I've been having to read lately. Sure. Um, about these different types of spiritual beings, these seraphim and the cherubim. Mm. Um, the is it the gibbering that the warrior class? Yeah, 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 indeed. Yeah. So I, I suppose where, where all of that comes from, um, obviously the scriptures themselves mention various different types of, of angels. We, we speak of the, the cherubim over the Ark of the Covenant, for example, or the cherubim who, who um, appear when Isaiah is called and the seraph who flies down with the, the flaming coal to purify his lips. Yes. Um, we speak of the hosts of heaven. Uh, we speak rank on rank. You know, we speak we speak of each of the hosts of heaven. And so um, there was a desire from a very early age as typical human beings, you know, to kind of classify and understand. Um, and so from from the earliest tradition of the church, we, we, we spoke of nine choirs. Mm -hmm. Now, immediately when we say choir nowadays, we think of people singing, you know, and, and singing praise is part of part of the, the work of the angels. But choir actually just means a division. If you go to an old medieval church, you'll see the church is, is divided into the nave, the choir and the sanctuary. And the nave was where the people um, gathered. Um, it comes from Navis, the ship, because the church roof, if you looked up, looked like a ship, looked like a boat. And the idea was we were all on the boat of Christ, you know, the fisherman's boat. We were on the way to salvation. The second section that you reached was the choir. And that was usually where, yes, the singers were, but also all of those who ministered in the sanctuary gathered there. And then you had the sanctuary itself, the sacred place, the holy place that usually contained the altar, the scriptures, etc. That was the, 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 the sacred place. And it was divined. It was designed very much on line with the early um, temple, the early Jewish temple as well, that had its... Um, it's it's place of the Gentiles, the general gathering, then the place of the people of God. And then finally, you were into the tent of, of the Lord's presence and finally the Holy of Holies. Um, interestingly, when Jesus um, famously says, I am the way, the truth and the life, you cannot come to the Father except through me. He's speaking actually of the three gates into the temple. The first gate um, for, for, for the Gentiles and the unclean was called the gate of the way because they were beginning to enter into the way of salvation. The second gate into the place of the people of God, the cleansed, the holy people of God, was the truth, the gate of truth, because they had accepted the truth of the covenant. And finally, the gate in which only the priests could enter into at that time, into the place of, of the holy of holies, was the place of, of literally the life entering into the place of, of life, the name. So Jesus was literally saying at that moment, I am the temple, I am the new temple. But getting back to our choirs, our choirs of angels. So... In the early, um, the early centuries of the church, um, you know, the, the people that we call the fathers of the church, the very, uh, the first kind of commentators on scripture after the apostles, um, they were the ones who began to, to sort of uh, look at, well, where do all of these angels fit? So they came up with three choirs of three, of three ranks, each of them. The, the first choir were what they called um, the, the angels, then the archangels. Mm -hmm. um, now we'll speak about the likes of Michael and Gabriel and Raphael in a minute, but they're, they're kind of they're separate dudes totally. But we're talking about the angels um, were the ones who, who basically had authority over um, basic creation. They were the nearest to earth. They were the ones whose job it was to facilitate the growth of the kingdom. And our guardian angels generally are drawn from that particular choir. We have the archangels then who are ministers of a particular message. And they were seen to be guardians of larger entities, peoples, 
uh, tribes, countries. Um, for example, in the book of Daniel, um, Daniel speaks of the angel of Persia speaking yeah. to the angel of the chosen of God, you know. So again, that various different larger groups, peoples, tribes uh, would have angels that were appointed over them. And it was believed by the early Christians that it was these angels who sowed what they called the logios spermatikoi, the seeds of the word in the hearts of the pagan peoples. So whatever was truthful and good and beautiful in the pagan tradition had come from these angels to prepare them for the time when they would finally hear the revelation of Christ and that they would recognize it. Occasionally, the, the pagan peoples, I'm speaking about pagan now in the classical sense of the word pagan, not neo-pagan, but the classical sense of the word. Um, it was believed that they had fallen into error by worshipping these angels and by naming them as the pagan gods and goddesses, etc., um, which was then further um, perverted in the Christian tradition by um, the demonic then as, as well, the fallen angels. Um, but the archangels of the pagan peoples were basically trying to prepare them for the coming of, of the good news. Uh, you then have uh, the thrones were next after that. Um, and again, a throne was was a ruler as such. So it's like when we speak of the British throne or the French throne, uh, we're not speaking of of um, a chair. We're speaking of the the uh, the person who occupies the chair, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and so these were seen as the planetary rulers, the ones who ruled the planets, uh, who ruled the weather, um, who ruled the, over the the kind of the the various spheres of of being. After that, we have the dominions. Um, I'm going through them now properly. Angels, archangels, thr yeah, th uh, thrones, dominions. Um, and then we have, after the dominions, we have the principalities and powers. Now, it was believed by the early, um, the early Christians that the majority of the fallen spirits had come from the choirs of the principalities and powers. And that's why St. Paul says, we fight against principalities and powers. Yeah. And these were considered to be very high angels um, who had been led astray by, by Lucifer um, and had um, taken a position against, uh, against God. We, we don't know, the, the revelation, scripture does not tell us what it was um, that was the offense of the angels, other than it was pride. We, we know that it was the sin of pride. We don't know what it was. Um, the tradition of the church traditionally tells us that Lucifer wanted to be as God, you know, and was deposed by by Michael um, and and the and the other angels, and was cast into into hell along with all of the other fallen angels at the time. Um, there is no figure, no number given for how many angels there are. It's we're just we just know it's it's an extraordinary number beyond our possi possibility even to count. Um, the figure of a third of the angels falling is a tradition. Um, it's not actually found in, 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 in scripture other than in the book of Revelation, but that's referring to a slightly different thing, which is are, are the spirits that are unleashed at the end of time. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, they're principalities and powers. Um, we have uh, above them, them then the, 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 the great choir, which is the seraphim, the cherubim uh, and the orophim or onophim. So the seraphim were considered to be beings that were so sacred, they very rarely left the presence of God. Um, they are depicted as having six wings, um, two to cover their faces in humility, uh, two to indicate that they can be anywhere they want um, instantaneously, which is why angels have wings traditionally in iconography. It's, the, it's the, the image of speed more than anything else. And two to cover the feet again, or to cover the body 
which was considered, again, a kind of a modesty or humility availing in front of the presence of God. These beings were, were said to be uh, beings of fire, um, that they were, they were beings of the uncreated light of God, basically the eminent energy of the divine. Um, and their nature is absolute love. Um, and so they're seen, uh, when we speak of anything as being seraphic, we mean sort of on fire with divine love. Um, hence the angel, the seraph, who flies down to purify the, um, the mouth of the prophet Isaiah with the pole. Um, they spend their time in adoration of, of God. Um, but there are seven high seraphs that also have the title of archangel. And these are the ones that we name. Uh, three of them are named in scripture, Michael, Gabriel and Raphael. Uh, the fourth name traditionally given in one of the, um, the Deuterocanonical books, the Book of Enoch, is Uriel or Uriel. And then Christians have fought for centuries over what the other names are. There are all kinds of traditions. But the ones we find canonized by, by, by sacred tradition and by scripture are Michael, Gabriel, Raphael and Uriel. Michael, um, as the highest of them all, his name in Hebrew, Michael, means who is like God or who is like unto God, which is both his name and his war cry. Um, there is no one like God. Uh, Gabriel or Gabriel means the strength of God or the action of God in the world. And so Gabriel is sent to announce uh, when great movements of divine grace are taking place. Um, so we have Gabriel coming for the Annunciation to Mary. Um, Gabriel is also considered to be the angel who guided Joseph um, and who was the protector of the, the, the nativity. And then we have Raphael, Raphael, who is the healing of God and, and is the, the image of God's um, tenderness, his compassion, his, his healing present in the world. Uh, Uriel represents the light again, um, light of awareness, light of wisdom, light of understanding as well. Um, angels are not male or female. Um, they are beyond those, those categories. Um, they may appear as masculine or as feminine. They may appear as animals. And they may appear as light. Um, and many of the, the, um, the experiences of even the Old Testament prophets trying to describe them when they would appear in their glory was almost impossible. Right. There's a very good passage in uh, C.S. Lewis's um, science fiction trilogy, uh, Perilandra, which is the middle book of that, where the angels of a particular planet are preparing to meet that planet's Adam and Eve. It's, it's science fiction, obviously, but Lewis is coming at it from a Christian perspective. And you have the angels deciding what form they will appear in. And they're asking a human being to judge what form would be most suitable for them to appear in. And by the time they've gone through their various forms, the poor human is nearly broken. Their mind is broken in terms of what they have seen. But Lewis makes this beautiful, beautiful uh, thing. He says, you will meet nothing more real in this world other than God than an angel. And we tend to think of them as, you know, diaphanous, transparent, you know, kind of moving through walls. He says, yes, they do all that because they're more real than our physical creation. So just as we human beings can walk through a fog at dawn, an angel can walk through anything because it's as unreal to it, anything in time, because it dwells in eternity as, as we might be. So you then have further subdivisions into choirs. The Geberim, you talked about the, the warriors who are sent uh, to defend God's people. You also have the description of the Nephilim uh, in the early uh, Testament, who are the, the ones who, who are part of the fallen angels, the watchers who fell. Um, and one of, the, one of the interesting things about the fallen angels that's often put forward is that it was actually when the incarnation was revealed 
that the angel that the angels fell that Lucifer was having none of it because it would mean that humanity in being joined to the divinity through the incarnation would have been higher than the angels and they say that his pride could not take that now again that's tradition as opposed to scripture but it's it's an interesting idea yeah wow wow that's a lot to unpack and yeah I, I took <laughs> but people are unpacking it for thousands of years so you know it's there's a lot in there. What I'd recommend if anybody wants to really read the early, the earliest teaching on this um, in the Christian tradition, there was uh, a gentleman called um, Pseudo Dennis. Uh, he's called Pseudo Dennis because um, he was um, his his writings were erroneously attributed to Dennis um, Dionysius the Are the Areopagite, who's mentioned in uh, the Acts of the Apostles. But he was a very early monk who, who kind of co coordinated all of this teaching and put it together. And his book is called On the Celestial Hierarchy. Okay. Um, and it's 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 very available. You'll probably even find it as a PDF on Google if you want to sit down and, and, and read it. Um, I warn you, it's a heavy read, but it's 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 worth it's worth reading to know what the early Christians were saying about the angels. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I, I appreciate that. You, it is a lot to unpack, but you went through that in such a way that it's like you've been studying this for 30 years. <laughs> <You know? laughs> well, it's, it's part of our, it's part of our tradition and, and, you know, we, we, we work with them and they work with us and, and it's, it's important to, um, you know, we, we, we recognize them as, as heavenly helpers. Um, I think it's very important to note that no, no Christian should worship an angel of any kind we don't we don't worship them we seek their intercession um in the same way that you would go to your grandma and ask her to pray for you when you're sick we can go to the holy ones and ask them to pray for us you know and to 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 add their their merit to our prayer um but there is only one primary intercessor uh, in the Christian understanding, and that's Christ himself um so we we and, and sometimes it can be something that people kind of have as a kind of a, a misunderstanding, but but Catholic Christians do not worship anyone except God Himself. We venerate the saints and the angels um, as as holy holy beings or holy people, in the same way as we give respect to to holy people that we meet on on Earth here and now. Um, Christ Himself asked us to venerate holy people in the Scriptures. He speaks of us even obtaining our reward by giving a holy man a, gl a glass of water simply because he is a holy man. Um, and, and says that our reward might be guaranteed to us simply for that act of kindness, because we're recognizing holiness in the in the individual. Um, but when it comes to the saints and the angels, we speak of them as it's a communion of now. You know, they are present to us now in the eternity of God. They're praying for us uh, and, and we, we benefit from their intercession and their help. That's perfect. That's perfect. And that, that needed to be said, too, because um, my my last name is Kennedy. So my, my my father's side of the family. Uh, There's an Irish-Scottish connection there somewhere. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Very Catholic. <laughs> you know, and, and my grandmother, on my, my paternal grandmother, um, she's Irish-Hungarian. So oh, wow. it, it was, uh, or Italian-Hungarian, I'm sorry, Italian-Hungarian. Sure. And my, mm. my grandfather was Irish. So it's very heavy catholicism you know that's like sure you've got, a, you've got a heavy heritage there yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. so I'm, I'm pretty familiar with it and sure. having to explain all my life no my dad does not worship mary no 
completely. Yeah. You yeah, know what yeah. I mean? I, uh, yeah, I, I like that you explained that. Um, so it's interesting. Again, if you want to go back to that early, very early on in Christianity, um, what was what was spoken of, and it's it's Greek was the language of the early church um, because of of that time. But they spoke of of God receiving what we call um, uh, latria, latria, which is absolute worship, right? The worship due to God alone, and and the Christian was called to give that only to God. We bow only to God in that sense, in the fullness of our soul. We we place ourselves fully before Him. But then they also spoke of what they called dulia and hyperdulia, and dulia was the respect given to someone who was an elder um, in 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 the church. And so Dulia is given to the to the saints and to the angels because they are our elder brothers in creation, uh, speaking of the angels, and they're there to lead us on. And there's a wonderful change that takes place in scripture, if, if you watch for it. In the Old Testament, when the angels would appear, um, you know, the, 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 naturally enough, the angels would appear in their glory. People would bow down in front of them. Um, and they're, it, they're, it, they don't really remonstrate too much about that. But after the incarnation, we go to the book of Revelation and when the angel appears to John, John goes to bow to him and immediately the angel says, don't do that. I'm just a fellow servant like you, because through the incarnation, the fall of humanity has now been healed and human nature is now one with the divine in the incarnate in the incarnation of Christ. And we're one with Christ as the body of Christ. So in that sense, we have a rebalancing of things. We're now brothers together on the road rather than a senior over over a a superior over an inferior the one thing that they did say was they referred that uh, that there was a category that they called hyperdulia and hyperdulia was reserved only for the holiest of saints and they were for those who had um uh, a a, a unique role to play so mary and and uh, joseph as the foster father of christ they received hyperdulia which is the, the greatest veneration but never worship Right. Worship is for God alone. That's latria. Perfect. Thank you. Thank mm-hmm. you. Um, well, I, like I said, but in the pre-intro, you're a wealth of knowledge. <laughs> and I, I just, I, I feel like people need to hear this. Um, sure. From whatever, whatever avenue they have to hear it from. If it's this show, if it's strange familiars, if it, you know, if you ever break out in your own podcast, which I think. <laughs> <is awesome>. uh, <laughs> Well, I'm 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 happy to to come back, so don't be worried. Uh, thank you, thank you so much. Um, we we touched on these principalities and powers, the fallen. Mm. Um, must be pretty high ranking, right? You you put them about sixth, it looks like on, on yeah, that. Yeah, they're about midway up there. Yeah, 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 a little higher midway. Yeah. Um, now you also mentioned that you've worked with exorcists and. Mm. and experience that and i that's something that i i really want to get into um mm. I, i'm not trying to glorify the sure the side of, of things, course yeah um but as yeah. a a warning or yeah. awareness i would love for for you to expand on some things about like um maybe your personal experiences with exorcism what it looks like sure. for someone to be yeah. this is a big question and i think that you would have more of an authoritative answer can a Christian become possessed or, or is it merely an oppression? Is it something harassing? Mm. 
Christian or so we we speak of yeah we speak of different there are different categories um so um the, the category that most of us experience is temptation right we all experience that every human being does and temptation since the incarnation um is now used uh, as uh, it can be used by grace when we give our lives over to christ when we give our lives over to god it, it is then used by grace for the purification of the will the strengthening of the will in the worship of god okay if we fall in the midst of temptation we repent we begin again we trust in god's mercy okay that's the first thing the second thing uh, the second important point is to say with regard to all of this that the christian understanding is that the definitive act in the battle between good and evil has been won. It's over and done with. And that was the cross of Christ, right? In the death of Jesus, Satan and his minions were defeated eternally and forever, once and for all. When it comes down to the individual, the merits of that, of that great grace, the merits of that act have to be applied to the individual. So the individual has to, has to allow themselves uh, to be fully under the banner of Christ, under the banner of God's love, under the banner of, of goodness, shall we say. Obviously, I'm speaking specifically from the Christian tradition in this, in this instance. Um, but where, where, where it gets confusing for people is if they begin to imagine and you find this in a lot of Christian people, if they begin to imagine that really what we're talking about is almost two equal powers fighting with each other. And at any moment, the battle could be won or lost. Mm. OK, that's actually a heresy of the early church. It's a heresy that we call Manichaeism. And a lot of the a lot of the early the early church fathers spoke of it as the perennial heresy. It's the one that human imagination seems to like most and fall back into all of the time. This idea that it's the light versus the dark, the good versus evil, and um, that oh, Satan could win at any time. Ultimately, um, Satan is defeated utterly, completely, and totally. One of our great saints uh, and mystics, Padre Pio used to refer to the devil as the dog on the chain. Right. He used to say, like any angry dog on a chain, it can bark and it can make a lot of noise and it can look really big and fierce. But as long as you stay out of the reach of the chain, you're fine. So as he used to say to, his, to the people, why would you walk within reach of the chain? You know, he has been chained. Um, now, he is still allowed to tempt and to, to sift, as, as, as the gospel has it, to sift us like wheat, you know, so as to, to bring about hopefully deeper conversion in all of us. But I just want to make, make that clear. So that's the first level of temptation. The second level then that we would talk about is what we call oppression. And oppression is concerted spiritual attack that may begin to manifest in things preternatural or even supernatural. So we begin to get... Um, in someone who's who's being oppressed, um, very very um, he heavy sluggish mood. Um, somebody who gets trapped in perennial vice. Um, someone who finds it extremely difficult to to um, to move towards things that are good, holy, beautiful, truthful, etc. Now I want to be really clear here. Really clear. I am not talking about a psychiatric condition or a psychological depression. They are totally different to what we're speaking about, okay? Somebody can be an absolute saint and suffer from psychiatric problems or psych psychological depression. 
And in that instance, they need all of the care and support that medical health and psychological health and psychiatric health provide. Right? We're not talking about that. We're talking about the onset of a spiritual darkness yes. um, that is to do with sin, as opposed to the spiritual darkness that can affect somebody. We speak of things like the dark night of the soul, where God is present, but God is withdrawing into mystery so as to allow the person to grow in faith. That's, that's a different thing entirely. This is a darkness that brings with it panic, fear, anxiety, um, deep levels of, of disgust, um, deep levels of, of um, kind of self-torture mentally, emotionally, etc. And that can eventually overflow into things like manifestations, like noises, um, uh, poltergeist-like activity, but for, for people to kind of understand it, though a poltergeist can be many different things. It doesn't just have to be this. Um, and you can also have kind of um, various forms of haunting and, and, and stuff associated with that. Um, the next level after that is what we call infestation. And infestation is where uh, not just the person, but the place they're in becomes subject to really severe um, diabolical manifestations. Um, it can be uh, as simple as a bad smell that will not go away, that nobody can find where it's coming from right the way through to, I know of cases where a house suddenly fills, like infestations of, of roaches and flies and all of those kind of things, very, very negative things. Um, sometimes it can attract crime to the place where there's just ongoing, constant oppression. The purpose of all of these things are to weaken the individual and to bring them to a place of absolute desolation and despair. The only thing that, that Satan wants is that we arrive at despair, renounce God and give ourselves up. Right. That's the only thing that is wanted and it's wanted out, out of hate. So for the most part, we are so um, broken ourselves as human beings. He doesn't have to do a whole lot. You know, um, he just tips us in the right direction and the temptations follow and off we go. But as someone begins to grow in, in prayer and in grace and puts themselves more under the protection of God and, you know, the angels are sent and all of that kind of stuff, naturally the battle can become a little bit more, more severe. The last case is possession. Now, as I said, I worked with exorcists who were full-time exorcists for, for, for life and all of them, and this goes across the board, would say that an actual full-blown possession is extremely rare. Um, one of the, the, the men, I asked him how many, and he said, look, if you take 100 cases, you're talking one out of 100. Wow. Like that's what you're talking about, is full-blown possession. So a lot of people experience the other stuff, infestation and oppression, and think it's possession. But full-blown possession is extremely rare. Um, because in that instance, the person has to hand over their interior will to the demon. And that is a very, very rare step. Um, so from that point of view, um, that's why um, when possession takes place, the person's will is not active. And so traditionally, the church has never seen um, any sin committed while possessed as being to the guilt of the human being. Okay. And very often, it's a great grace, very often when a, when a possessed soul is completely delivered, they will have no memory of anything they did while they were possessed. It's as though God saves them from that, from the from 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 knowing uh, those kind of things went on. So they are the kind of ongoing things. Having having said that, you know, human beings are very good at jumping to the worst possible conclusion. 
I remember the first friar who trained me in to deal with hauntings. And he was saying, you know, the first question is not, when did you see the ghost? The first question is, when did you last have the plumber look at your pipes? You know, because he's, again, you start with the most material and you build up to the possibility that it's supernatural. Now, you can arrive at a house, as I did, one of the houses, and it was clear from the start that there were supernatural manifestations going on. But for the most part, what you can actually discover as you talk to people is usually there's some family stuff going on. There might be some stresses, some anxieties. There could be unresolved traumas or tensions. And this is kind of building up a psychic tension between people, and it's sort of lashing out in manifestations. Wow. Because we forget that we are both body and soul. And we, we affect things on both the physical and the spiritual plane as, as human beings. You know, I know if I sit down and I pray, and I'm praying in intercession for somebody who's sick, you know, God hears that prayer and God will, you know, use that prayer for the betterment of that person. So I'm affecting things on a spirit at a spiritual level at that stage. But the same is true equally if I'm if I uh, generate a lot of anger or a lot of a lot of sadness or a lot of anxiety. We all know what it's like to be around someone who's generating a lot of that. You know, it overflows. It makes things difficult. And over time, there can be um, what we call the preternatural, which is that which comes out of our humanity, the preternatural manifestation of that. So I, I can give you an example, if you like, of, of one case that I, that I dealt with. Um, so there was, there was a, a lady came to see us. Um, they were having manifestations in the house, typical poltergeist stuff. It had developed a little bit further in that the poltergeist seemed to have a relationship with um, her daughter. Her daughter was a teenager, um, often a young person. Not, most people go girl, but it, it can be either gender. Um, but often in that adolescent phase, there tends to be a kind of a, a pickup with these things. Um, the daughter was now, um, had turned it into a kind of a trick for, her, for her, her friends. She would bring them in and she would ask the ghost questions and they would get knockings back, you know your typical old style, once for yes, twice for no kind of thing. Um, the mother was getting very upset about this. The father had actually left the house. He couldn't take it anymore because he'd seen um, a young boy standing on the stairs. And that was just, that finished him. He was gone. Um, but the mother kind of felt that there was nothing to be afraid of. She recognized the truth of what was going on, but she just wanted it gone so that they could all move back into the house. Anyway, I went to see them. Um, and uh, we had a long conversation. From the moment I entered the house, there was just this feeling of being watched. It was really interesting. It was just this you know, feeling on the back of your neck that you were being, being watched. So um, it was all very calm and quiet. Asked the, the girl to, um, to show me. So we went upstairs and she stood outside her bedroom. Mother was with me and I was there and she said hello. And there was a thump from the attic. And um, the thump seemed to come down inside the walls then. And she was asking questions and it was thumping back and forth. So I was kind of just nodding away. OK, fair enough. So I asked her to ask it uh, to stop talking to her. And she asked because I wanted to see what its reaction was. So she asked it and there was a flurry of thumping. Like it made no sense. No yes or no or anything like that. Wow. So. That was it. She she went off. She was a bit nonplussed about it going because it was kind of making her famous amongst her friends. But anyway, she, she went off. I sat with the mother for a while and the mother said to me, she had also seen the boy. So I said, where did you see him? And she said, well, she woke up one night um, from a dream and 
this young man was the way she put it uh, was sitting at the bottom of the bed not on the bed but at the at the bottom of the bed um and he was looking at them through the through the rail at the at the bottom of the bed so i said okay how did you feel and she said i was okay so i felt really calm now it's, it's unusual you'd normally expect terrified to be the the response you know right. so i said do you know who 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 he was and she said no i've no idea i've no idea and there was they knew nothing about the people who lived in the house before them etc cetera, etc cetera. So as we were chatting, she was talking all about her husband and she was very angry that the husband had left them there, but he just couldn't take it and all of that. And I said, well, how are things between the two of you? And she said, oh, well, we get on, we're okay. And I said, are things not great? And she said, well, you know, we've had a lot of, a lot of tragedy. And I said, okay. And I said, what, what was the big tragedy? And she said, well, we lost our first child. Yeah, many years ago. I said, does your daughter know, and the daughter didn't know that there had been a child before her. Um, and uh, all the way along, she had been, when she'd been naming the, the young guy, oh, I asked, I asked her how old did he seem to be? And she went 19, which was very, very, you know, unusual. Normally people would say between 10 and 15 or between 15, she went 19. So I asked her, when did she lose the child? And she thought she couldn't remember. So she checked the year and it was 19 years ago. So I said, okay. I said, I think what's happening is your child is still with you um, and probably couldn't manifest until your daughter hit teenage years because in adolescence, spiritual energy becomes really big because the body, the mind, the heart, the soul is getting ready to jump into adulthood, to move into adulthood. And that's why there's often things that lock on or latch on to adolescence for a while because they can draw that off. They can be very parasitic. This wasn't parasitic. The girl looked fine. She was good. She was in good form, physically fine. So I said, have you ever named, named him? So she said, no, we didn't even know it was a boy. The child had died very early. Um, so uh, in, in the womb, very early in the womb. So I said, okay. So I said, let's name him. So I said, did your husband and yourself ever think of a name for him? And she said, well, if it was a boy, we were going to call him and she had a name. So I said, OK, let's pray together. So we prayed together and we called on on um, on Jesus to to be with this family and uh, to be with the dad as well, even though he wasn't there to be with the daughter, but also to be with this son that had that had um, had died so young and to take him into his care. And we named the son particularly. And there was a palpable feeling of just like the whole house let out a sigh. It was like everything just went up a notch, very peaceful. So I went and did the blessings we would normally do just in case it was anything else. You know, we blessed the house. We um, blessed it with holy water. We scattered salt. I gave them um, various blessed objects to keep in the house uh, to protect it. Um, the the uh, the woman was very calm about it, very, but I, I did say the one thing I would really ask you to do is try and discourage your daughter from getting into conversations with this, you know. And she and I said I wouldn't tell her the story yet about the brother in case she starts trying to have conversations with it about the brother because these things sometimes if they're from the other side the the negative side they can mimic and pretend to be other things. Right. So. From the time we did the blessing and named the child, they never had another manifestation. 
um, the girl came back and discovered everything had gone silent. She couldn't call it anymore. It wouldn't knock or wouldn't make any any noise. She was very, very annoyed with me um, because uh, her, her friends now, she couldn't do the party trick for her friends anymore. The father got in touch with the mother a couple of days later and said he'd been thinking about things and he wanted to come back to the house. Oh, wonderful. So he came back and the family were reunited and she told him uh, not that I had been to the, to the house because she said he wouldn't be happy that a monk could come to bless the house. But she had a conversation with him about, do you think that might have been? And he said, oh, my God, I never thought of that. And they they began to kind of reconcile more deeply. So from that point of view, you have a situation there that's apparently, so far as we can say, um, a, a human haunting. It's a particular manifestation of poltergeist activity where there's an actual entity present or, or, or feeding from something else to 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 arrive at, an, at a, the possibility of visibly manifesting. But it was essentially someone saying, I'm still here. I'm part of your life. What was appearing was their unresolved trauma. Um, and they needed to bring that to Christ for healing. Yeah. And they did. And the family healed. And I think sometimes if we wade in immediately into something like that and say, oh, if anything like this is happening, it's automatically diabolical. We give a narrative to that, which is so negative that the people just become frightened and we never get to the bottom of it. If it had been diabolical, we would have had pushback big time in terms of, of um, trying to, to, to push it out. So what normally happens if we arrive into a place where the poltergeist activities are, are diabolical um, is there is a strong feeling of we do not want you here. We want you gone. Um, and usually manifestations will happen that will let us know very quickly. Um, so even even the bringing into the house of blessed objects and things like that, we'll often have, you'll have power problems, you'll have um, noises, uh, you'll have disruption to even the prayer service. It's amazing how often people will suddenly visit and call to a house in the middle of the prayer service because they're disturbing it, you know, it's, it's breaking it up, etc. But once we go in, and, and it's really important, we're not going in under our own name. You know, it's not because I'm Brother Richard that I can go in and do that. You're going in under the authority of Christ, under the authority of his name. Um, and this is where people can get themselves into trouble, I think. Sometimes people, people can walk into these situations thinking that I have enough skill or I have enough spiritual power, or I have enough juice or whatever you want to call it to deal with these things myself. I, I would really warn against that. I think you need to go in. You're dealing on, on a spiritual plane. You need to go in with, you know, spiritually covered. Um, and whether that's asking your church or your group to pray for you as you go in to do this, you know, we, 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 we are not saved through our own merits. We're saved through grace. Um, we don't earn anything. It's all grace. And so it's really important for us to, to go in under grace. Um, and to prepare for it. I mean, so we would prepare for events like that. You know, we would we would undertake fasting. We take we would take prayer very seriously before going. Um, we would usually go in twos. It was unusual in that instance that I was there by myself. We would usually go to go in twos. And one of us, one of them, our job would be to pray while the other person is doing the work. So you have a prayer person there with you. Also another witness, which is always good as well. Um we have one brother who is an absolute gift to us in all of these things because he's what we call a spiritual damper, which is if you bring him into anything, nothing happens. Everything, all the manifestations just stop. He has a gift. 
um, he, he, he hates it because he's never seen anything. <laughs> he, always, he always wants to see something. But when he comes in, it's, it's extraordinary. He has a very, very high gift of prayer. And when he walks into the place, everything just stops. They just leave the minute he arrives. Um, but um, for, for, for the rest of us, it's about going in well covered by, by prayer and fasting and, and making sure that we're, that we're ready to, to deal with things. But we always take it from the quietest, most human level first. If it's the other stuff, don't worry, we will find that out when we begin to pray and when we begin to do blessings because you'll have reaction against it. But if there's no reactions against it, I mean, I one very funny one I often comment on, which is a, a, a guy brought me into his apartment because he was convinced there was there was a ghost because at three o'clock every morning he would hear um, this this these footsteps going across the floor in his bedroom, you know, one after another. And it was three o'clock and that was very significant for him and all of this kind of stuff. And it, it, it turned out literally it was the heating coming on in the apartment downstairs. <laughs> um, you know, the pipes were just clumping uh, in an old building and that's all it was. Um, now, we still did a blessing because he wanted a blessing. That was fine. But once we discovered what it was, it was no problem. So, you know, you look to the human first and then you you build onto that, whatever else it might be. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Thank you for sharing that too, because uh, it's so easy to, you know, to get caught up in, you know, something diabolical is going on when it could be, uh, I guess, our own anxieties and sure, baggage, sure, you know, yeah, ab absolutely. I mean, you know, when we look at the way Christ healed, you know, if you want to go to the Gospels, yes, he cast out demons. Absolutely, he did. You know, and and brought wonderful healing to people like that and he gave the authority over over the unclean spirits to his to his disciples and through his disciples to his church but he also simply healed you know and and often his first question to those who came to him wasn't um it, it wasn't didactic he wasn't teaching straight away his first his first encounter was a question it was what do you need me to do for you and and i think if if the church approached people with that question more often rather than here's what you need to do you know here's the didactic thing straight away um now we of course we have the truth and it's it's a duty for us to share the truth and to present the truth to people but the primary gospel people should be receiving is is the life of the believer you know that's the primary gospel if they meet me if they meet you are they meeting good news are they meeting someone who's going to meet them as Christ would meet them to say, what do you need from me? You know, I often look at the, 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 the um, passage of Jesus meeting the woman of Samaria, the woman at the well, you know, he didn't start from, oh, the Samaritans are wrong. He started with, could you give me a cup of water? And that allowed an opening into a conversation that became not just a conversion for the woman, but a conversion for the whole town. Whereas if we'd started with, you're wrong, I'm right, you know, what does that do? It closes doors. And so I think sometimes we can, we can have a prescription. It's a script or a worldview that we think we have to impose on everyone else. But actually, going back to that, that theory of the, the seeds of the word, if we believe that Christ is who he says he is, then his grace is at work in the heart of every human being already. 
So when we encounter another human being, we're on holy ground. And there's something about needing to take the shoes off about holy ground, you know? We, we, we need to go slowly and gently and discern his presence there. I often say to young, young clergy when I'm training them, please remember there is no room you will ever go into that Christ isn't already in that room ahead of you. You are not bringing him in there. Your job is to find him in there. And I think that's really important for us, because if we go in with, with you know, threats and worries and rebukes and, and trying to cast out immediately the moment we walk in anywhere, well, very often what we're faced with is just fear coming back. Uh, and it's the fear of the people that generates a lot of this stuff. Whereas if we go calmly and peacefully, secure in the faith of, of Christ, secure under the banner of the cross, secure covered by his precious blood, secured in, in our own baptism and in our own church covenant relationship, whatever whatever denomination we belong to, but under his name, we have, we have nothing to fear. Go, go back to C.S. Lewis again. He said famously, the devil only likes two groups of people. The first group are the people who deny he exists. That's great. They give him free reign. The second are the group who talk about him all the time. Because what they do is they take the focus off Christ and they make people afraid of the devil. Yes. And the one thing we shouldn't be is afraid of him. You know, there's a wonderful story uh, in the, from the Middle Ages uh, um, uh, of St. Teresa of Avila, who was one of the greatest teachers in, in prayer and, and a powerful, powerful person, uh, a woman of faith. And on one occasion, she tells the story in her biography, you know, um, she said that the devil runs fastest, not from being rebuked, but from being laughed at. Mm. Because as a spirit of pride, the one thing he can't take is to be laughed at. So she said, when the devil reminds you of your past, remind him of his future and laugh. <laughs> there you go. And he will depart very quickly. Wow. You know? Yes. Yes, Brother Richard, I know that we've we've reached our limit of time for today, but um, I hope that you would join me again to do. To sure, I'd be I'd be happy to. I'm sure we've much more to talk about. Yeah, yeah, much, absolutely. Much more. It's it's been a blessing for me, and I'm sure for all the listeners um, to have you sit with me today. I appreciate you. Um, is there is there any final thing you want to say before we hop off? This just pray for me please pray for me um and and i'll remember you and and your and your listeners as well um and i think it's important for us to recognize we've had a very christocentric conversation which is which is good um you know as as two 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 believers in christ um but i think it's also important for us to recognize that there are so many out there who are dealing with um you know all of the things you mentioned on your podcast and maybe they're coming from different perspectives different understandings different traditions different ways of being or believing um and i want to say i mean no criticism of them by anything that i've said here today um what i do want to say though is that we're we're i'm always open to talking to to anybody or being being um uh, listening to anybody and 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 my main thing is is to recognize that you know, grace, by whatever name you want to call it, grace is at work in your life if you are a human being. Calling you to truth, calling you to love, calling you to beauty, calling you to, to unity with itself. 
And as long as you're on a path that you think is bringing you to truth, beauty, unity, love, peace, then, you know, as far as I'm concerned, you're, you're, you're on the right path because truth, beauty, beauty unity, peace, etc. cetera, the, the, the other name for all of those things is God. And I'm, I'm perfectly happy if you're on that path. Amen. Amen. Brother Richard, I thank you again for coming on the show. I will definitely be keeping you in my prayers and please keep me in prayer too. Absolutely. Thank you indeed for having me and God bless you. Anytime. God bless you. And I'll catch up with you online and we'll schedule next time. Sure. No problem. Have a good day. God bless. God bless. That's it for this week, guys. Thanks for listening. If you want more content, if you want to submit your own story to be on the show, if you want to listen to past episodes, or if you want to donate to the show, you can do all of that through thebumppodcast.com. So just go there, uh, explore the website, check it all out. If you want to sign up to be a member, it's super cheap. It's just $1.75 a week. You can cancel it any time. Get in on uh, all the, the new, latest, and greatest stuff we have going on. All right, so again, thanks for listening. I love you. God bless. Oh.
back home. personally ready to submit your life to God and accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The book of Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says it really simply that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved. It's that simple. To be born again to start a new life as a child of God to join God's army to rise up against the evil forces that you know are all around you. You don't have to do it alone. I love you. Jesus loves you. And may God bless you. God's 
called me up one night just to say, Brother, if you would, I need you to pray. So I went to the altar. I fell down on my knees and I prayed. I asked the Lord if He would heal him, and now He's living. If you're here feeling lonely and your burdens you no longer can bear, just come on up to this altar and take it to the Lord in prayer come on up to this altar fall down on your knees and pray ask the Lord to forgive you and you'll be Come on up to this altar and fall down on your knees and pray and ask the Lord to forgive you and you'll be Better day. Better.